Hello, I'm Jeff Watts. And I'm Paul Goddard. And welcome to the Agile Podcast, the show in which Paul and I discuss what Agile is really all about, over a pint or two in the pub. In each episode, we chat about our experiences as two Agile coaches in today's ever-changing world. So, grab yourself a drink in the bar, pull up a chair, and enjoy what people are saying is probably the best Agile pub-related podcast in the world. Welcome back, everyone, to the podcast. 2024, new year, new new podcast. Well, same old shit. <laughs> Different day. I'm yeah. Billy Joel. It always starts with his concerts, so I say, new year, still playing the same old shit. <laughs> You're going to see him again soon, right? I am going to see him. <clears throat> I heard he looks now a bit like the uh, Darth Vader with his helmet off. <laughs> yes, he is a bit, yeah. He's still the greatest songwriter of all time, in my opinion. But there we are, that's just me. Welcome. Except for Paul Simon. Mm, yeah, yeah, they're both good. They're both good. Anyway, we digress. What are you drinking, Jeff? Where, first of all, where are we, Nigel? Because Nigel's here, everyone. Hello. And um, Paul's we're being in, very loudly, but we're um, in we're in um, Nigel's part of the world. Where are we, Nigel? Bristol. We're in Clifton. We are in the pub Channings, which was, I think, a good two-minute walk from where I used to live, um, and was the as I was regaling the others with a moment ago was the pub that I went in after my final university exam. Okay. So we, we did our exam, we sat down and we drank and drank and drank for the rest of the night. Happy yeah. memories. Yeah, it was good memories. That finishing university was a good feeling. Yeah. It was a good feeling. Yeah. Big sense of relief. Have I told you, I would now tell everyone my university story about the final day at uni. And this is going to require anyone who was born this century to look loads of things up on Wikipedia. <laughs> but just before my final exam, which was on computer graphics, interestingly, and because it was in the 90s, it was obviously a written paper yeah. on computer graphics. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, f- a friend and I had our had a copy we we, sh- we bought together illegally of the Phantom Menace, which Ooh. had just come out. Wow! I, um, we had um, this was the days before internet uh, torrenting mm. and before yeah. DVDs even. So it was a very dodgy copy downloaded off the internet after many hours of a VCD, right. v- video VCD, CD, yeah, video CDs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And a friend of ours got it, and we didn't believe him, and then he turned up with it that day. And we bought a copy that we were going to copy on his, on my other friend's um, CD burner, which again was incredibly rare at this time. Yeah. So all exam, I had the basically oh, the, the copy of Phantom Menace in front of so me size. whilst I was doing the exam, and I was completely distracted yeah, yeah. by this copy. And um, fact fans would be interested to know I got my highest mark ever in that exam. <laughs> <laughs> Goes to show you concentration sucks. Don't do it, kids. Yeah. Um, and then we uh, carried this around for the entire evening, copied it halfway through the evening. And then stayed out till three a.m. and then got home. And I think I watched half of it when I got home. Five a.m. You as disappointed as most people were with Phantom Menace. Uh, I wasn't as disappointed as others, but it was. um, What the word I would use is uh, anticlimactic. After everything and the conversations we've had, and as you know, I went up to try and audition for it and failed. And um, so, yeah, anticlimactic isn't that a synonym of disappointed? No, because it wasn't like a high, but it wasn't a low. It was kind of a in the middle somewhere. It's like, oh, okay. Having said that, I only watched half of it, and the point I stopped watching was after the first more boring half and not the more interesting second half. So, there we go. That was all. I remember that must have been 2001, something like that. 99. That was it? 99. 
Okay. No time. So, and that, that, that's it's probably bringing back those memories. So, very nice. Mm. That's what was that. Yeah, very good. Excellent. And um, what are you drinking, Jeff? I bought you a mystery pint. What is it? Old Golden Hen, oh, which I think gold. is a sister of the old Speckled Hen. Moreland Brewery. <coughs> what so would be the difference between a golden and a speckled? I don't mean hens, I mean beers. So this is more of a... So the speckled hen is a little bit like... A little bit like... Mm, sort of Newcastle brownie, a little bit spicy-ish. It's, it's, that's an extreme. But this is a smoother sort of real ale. Yeah. Like a just an old-fashioned pint, really. Session, okay. session but in a rather fetching glass, which we've all pointed out, which which works brilliantly on a on an audio only podcast. Yeah, never so. seen a glass that shape before. Oh. Sort of a it's a hexagonal base with a uh, what do you call it? Developing into sort of a conal structure with yeah. the top of the cone chopped off. Yeah. If we were in ancient Babylon, I would call it a ziggurat. Really? Yes, but yeah, but I, it's not quite that. But nearly. Okay. Yeah, it's nice. Whereas it's, you've gone for a standard. Coca Cola glass. Yeah, it's a very nice oversized Coca Cola glass. But your drink is sort of that sort of neo sci fi thing. So if you stripped off all the graphics on it, it would be used by Harrison Ford in yeah, 1982. Blade Runner. Blade Runner. So yeah. that would be that type of glass. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And Paul, what have you got in your glass? Thatcher's Haze. <laughs> Classic. Nice, nice and simple. Um, tried and tested. Bristol based. Uh, Somerset cider. Fruity. Sweet. I would indeed love an alcoholic drink, but for a variety of reasons, including driving, I'm just going to look at it uh, adoringly. So you're off the booze altogether now? Uh, pretty much, yeah. pretty much. For um, medical reasons? For a variety of reasons, yeah, yeah but medical's what main one of them. It doesn't mean, if you, mind you, fact fans, if you see me holding a beer at the conference, it's not something dodgy, but I'm, I'm not consuming much. No. It'd be a little on special occasions. <coughs> You've died right now. Yeah. Well, from a very low level to a very, very low level. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you've got to do these things as, as conditions change. You have to adapt to the changing conditions. Exactly. Right. Inspecting and adapting. Hmm, someone should come up with a name of branding for that. So talking about changing conditions and adapting to changing conditions. 2024. What do you conditions think? Conditions are like? different, aren't they? I don't think it's this year, though. I think it's a, this year is a continuation of last year for me, at least. Mm. But um, well, I think it's a. I think it's the response to COVID still. I think we're yeah. still rebounding from that organisationally. It's a yeah. lot of... Well, well the, I describe a lot of the organisations that I see at the moment as like dysfunctional marriages. Yes. Like that they're staying together for the kids. So, yeah. But they hate each yeah. other. Yeah. There's also an element of lemmingness. Now, I know lemmings don't throw themselves off cliffs and commit suicides, but... Damn it, man, I played the computer game, yeah. I believe it. Yeah. But there does seem to be a lot of lemming behaviour in industry where people post-COVID got carried away. And we had like the new 20s and everyone's getting carried away and everyone's hiring everyone under the sun. Yeah. And people hired because other people were hiring. Right. No business reason, no thoughtfulness, no strategy beyond. We've got to grab what we can, like hungry, hungry hippos. Mm. And now people have been laying off and now they're doing the same thing the other way. Oh my God, we must lay off. We must release yeah. people. For no good, strong business reasons, just literally just copying the market. And the trouble is, people strip out the stuff that looks non-essential. But the problem is, is it's kind of like, I don't know, you try and save money, so you cut your gym membership. Seems reasonable, right? 
But if you don't replace it with something equivalent, mm. you're just going to get fat and old quickly. Yeah. Like me. Yeah, of course <laughs> and you're so, go. And so it's, it's, it's short termism again. You know, I think there must be a term. So, you know, we've had technical yeah, debt. Yeah. I've talked about motivational debt. Yeah. I think there's an element of mm, there's got to be something here. You're sacrificing long term for short term. Yeah. Potential debt? No. I don't know, but I do know in psychology there is a range of bits and bobs and studies. I was just reading right. yesterday about how human beings overvalue the short term over the oh, long yeah. term. And that just explains well, that a lot of decisions. Yeah, it, it explains a lot of decisions being made today. <clears throat> like, for instance, I saw a job posting on LinkedIn today. Right now, I can't remember who it was. I can't remember which company, which is useful because I wouldn't mention them anyway. <laughs> but I can't. But it was a CFO job. Right? right, guy's a new CFO. Great. So I looked at the CV, and he's moved CFO jobs every two years. Standard. Right? Every two years. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So between lots of good, cool names, but every two years. And you're thinking, well, one. How can you lead financially if your horizon is 24 months? Yeah. That's sort of two lots of accounts, isn't it, really? Maybe mm. three at a push. Mm. That's it. Mm. There's nothing. What are you doing there? What change is really going to happen? You know, what's going to stay behind after you've gone? You know, yeah. what is actually. It's, it, wonder, yeah. it's almost. If it was just a bureaucracy job, I get it. But these C jobs are, are leadership roles, right? Mm. And leadership requires time. Requires time to turn the ship around, or whatever the metaphor is. And I was, I was surprised, disappointed, but also in two years he'll be gone from that job, going yeah. to another one. And I'm just thinking that short-termism in those senior roles, causing damaging to organisations, especially in the things that look long-termist, like engineering practice, like empowerment, mm-hmm. like emergence and evolution, like basically the, the foundations of agility. Yeah, and so. Do you think that's down to a lack of um, people are less patient these days, or do you think it's just that people don't think they can make that much of a difference? I don't think that's new. I think I I remember using that that statistic of the average length of a C-suite in a role is two years, even when we were at BT. So we're talking about succession planning, yeah, and how when Al Noor was there. It was, you know, it's not going to be here for that long. In fact, I think he overstayed the average just about. Yeah. But it wouldn't, I wouldn't say every leader was in, looking back at BT, there were a lot of mainstays there that did actually stay there a long time, longer than two years. Yeah. I think it was an exception in BT rather than the norm. Yeah, but some of those leadership roles were almost, they became stagnant in the role, so it was the other way around. But they stayed in the company, but they yeah. didn't necessarily stay in the same role. Oh, they sort of shuffle deck chairs, don't they, yeah. at the senior level. Or go to different yeah. lines of business. Yeah. Or, yeah. Sideways yeah. movement, yeah. yeah. A bit like a, a cabinet in Parliament. Yeah, yeah. or, or uh, like um, the, the Kremlin back in the communist yeah. days where people would shuffle, but you wouldn't lose leaders. Well, just an interesting thing. So literally, um, two-minute walk from this pub is my youngest daughter's school, mm-hmm. right? where the head teacher has just resigned. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Now... I'm, I'm going to do something with my fingers now mm-hmm. you cannot see on the audio podcast. Resigned. Inverted okay. commas. I was going to try and leave that bit out, but thanks, Jeff. Um, <laughs> but, but she's been there 11, 12, 13 years. Mm-hmm. And the issue I see there as not being one of the governors or anything is a complete lack of succession planning. In that there's almost been, it looks to me almost like a deliberate attempt to not develop up senior teachers, to instead keep quite 
good good teachers good teachers really good but you would call them junior in vernacular in our industry teachers and keep them rotating a bit in their classes not let them get too settled Mm. and not having like a senior leadership team underneath the head and this allowed the head to stay in power a long time Mm. the trouble is because no one's challenged the head the danger is no one's challenged the head and you know what's like in dictatorships when you don't get any feedback even if you're the cleverest human on earth you go awry Mm -hmm. and so now she's moving to green pastures they've got to hire a new head they've got to hire a new deputy because the deputy's leaving and he was quite good and so I just feel people don't think of their own mortality in work I don't mean death mortality I mean you need to think about the future and if you are going to move on in two years and that's the plan of everyone I regard that as wrong but if you regard that as right it's in your, it, it must be in your role to do swift and powerful succession planning so that you know who's coming after you. I, I just don't know people do. CFO, I, would, I would want to be able to have some way of judging their pay on future results, even if after they've left, because yeah. of the lagging indicators of the decisions that yeah. they're making. Yeah. Otherwise, the, and I the suppose that's win. through share options, isn't it? That's, yeah. that's essentially how they're. Their, in, their long-term incentives, even if they leave the organisation. Yeah, I wonder if these, I wonder if leaders in that position go into their next role knowing that they're going to be there. The, the anticipation, the ambition is, I'm only going to be doing this in two years, or whether they just run out of steam, uh, run out of drive. No, they want to be able to say on their CV, I've worked at X, Y, Z, and so they can boost their credentials. Like but you see, you see to people what? in their thirties, you can say. Google, Amazon, blah blah blah. But they've just done the minimum amount yeah. of time. Yeah. Or, rather than I spent ten years yeah. in this company, I took them from here to here. <clears throat> it's, it's it's more attractive to have more on names CVs, on the CVs. Have more yeah. names on yeah. CVs. And the issue with short termism is, as we said before, the term what's the term you use? Temporal discounting. Temporal discounting is the idea is that the stuff that is easy to measure on short termist mm-hmm. looks good in the short term, but the long term measures aren't. So, for instance, I could cut head today in a business yeah. and instantly oh, save money. Yep. Yet the long-term value of product development, the long tail, is out there somewhere indistinct in the future. Mm. And so it's the, the danger of, of, of these measures, these metrics being used as measures again and measures being used to pull the levers in the company. But back to like our world, the problem for us as agile practitioners is that when these companies are now becoming more tech bro I call it techno-fascist but more my way or the highway more great I've heard people. you use that phrase tech bro I yeah. don't know what it means well tech bro was like the San Francisco thing hey like a couple of guys out of Harvard have a great idea get some venture capital money and build it okay. and they very much they're the um, legends in their own lifetime so Elon Musk like the, the Zuckerberg the, yeah Zuckerberg like these great minds these great figures they're regarded in their own mind Okay. and there's loads of dangers on this I did a, a, um, an article on it uh, the other day on LinkedIn but I just feel that this there's a danger there with this kind of great it's all, I say great man it's because they're always men basically but this sort of great human theory like the idea all we need is a great leader to show us what to do right and it isn't true it, 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 it's, it's a simple answer that's wrong and it causes trouble again and again and again I just need some great mind to give me this, the simple answer that we must follow and there seems to be this picking up again in organisations this idea of how we just need to have a few great leaders and clear away the noise from them and let them do stuff but the trouble is that runs counter to the dirty tri- difficult triggering things of reality that is our day to day job you know as, as agile people you know the fact is um 
people working together is hard. It's messy. You know, people collaborating is messy. Empowering people's messy. People empowering themselves is even messier. You know, learning through evolution is difficult. You know, because people don't like what they see, and it's all difficult and hard and chewy and complex and crossing over. And that's a hard sell. And I think organisations are looking at roles like that, and they're going, I don't. You're living in this weird liminal space. Like you, I don't quite know what you do. I don't know, quite know how you do it. And because I don't quite understand it, tick is easy to put on the cuts on the cut list. You know, mm. you develop, you test. I get it. You help them do this cut. You know, and the and that's the danger I think in our space at the moment is um, there's certainly a lack of those jobs. Um, but we've seen it lack of yeah. master jobs well, available. Yeah. At a principle level, I can't really argue on one, on one hand because essentially it's an organisation experimenting. They've got a hypothesis yeah. that these teams don't need ancillary support. They mm. don't need servant leadership. They don't need this, mm. that and the other. So they're taking a gamble. They've made a decision and they're going to hopefully see the results. Maybe it's a good hypothesis. Maybe it's... Or have we hit a tipping point where the jobs, where the the employees that are coming into those jobs have a natural ability, uh, background and understanding of what self-organising teams look like, so they don't need as much time, as much coaching, as much um, facilitation as we they used to. Have but we hit that tipping point? Have we moved, moving into that new space? I think the, the danger is, is it's the literal exact opposite, which is the newer generations coming through are expecting coaching. They're expecting facilitation. They're expecting enabling. They're not expecting to struggle for themselves in a role. They're expecting to be... Because they've been supported. They've been emotionally, intelligently supported through learning up to this point in their career development. And now they're in the workspace. They're kind of saying, well, hang on, that's what I'm expecting here. This should be like a modern, you know, I should be able to come to someone, explain my boss listens and understands and empathizes and supports me and helps me and mentors me. Not get your job done and just don't bother me. And that's a huge disconnect there between this sort of generation above and them. Yeah. And so it's 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 the but the problem is for our own failings, right? Just looking at our own failings as an industry, is a lot of what we've done in the space gives the appearance of um, ritual. Yeah. rather than actual deep understanding you know if you stand up like this you'll get these results yeah um, it has the appearance of being um, lightweight and I don't mean li- don't mean lightweight as in agile like we probably lightweight as in um, ephemeral you know hey let's do a, a retrospective space around Harry Potter and top Gun yeah as the appearance of um, superficial superficial and lightweight and in, uh, insincere yeah, and, and shallow and, and shallow, shallow. Yeah. and so, so it's almost like um, uh, um, performative rather than real actual value add moving things on and that's a huge danger because as a leader I'm paying for this and I see for, why am I paying for you to try it, that just doesn't that's not shifting the dial at all it's not real and actionable mm. you know, it's not actually yeah, helping yeah, yeah. and so and that's not just Scrum Master I think the big danger is the word is agile coaches um, the concept of agile coaches as implemented and as delivered, I'm not hugely impressed with the industry. And so I think there's a huge danger there for us in our own space to up our games as practitioners 
and say, okay, what can I do here that's serious and deep and powerful mm. and demonstrates value to help those organisations as well? So I don't get swept away with the um, basically the process wonks, you know. Mm. Like, so I know a company that's really struggling at the moment to hire a scrum master, mainly because they're getting applicants to what you described there, Nigel, yeah. which are really just, I think maybe this has always been the case, but have just really been, they come into an interview and they're kind of given like a, a pseudo team yeah. interview yeah. Um, uh, task where mm-hmm. they're given three or four developers yeah. in the product owner mm-hmm. room. They're given a bit of context up front before the yeah. interview. Here's what the situation is. Here's a product backlog you can you can um, yeah. look at in advance. There'll be three team members here yeah. with, these, with these skills. There'll be a product owner in the yeah. room. You'll be put in there. Yeah. You're given half an hour to run a planning session yeah. or something like that. And some of the things that I've heard that, that, that happen in that is that is that it's just very much a process. Some some scrum master applicants come in with a spreadsheet. And they've already yeah. worked out individual velocities. Oh, so, so, Jeff, I'd like you to t- take eight points from the backlog this sprint, please. Okay. Eight points you're going to be... And this really? is, yeah. Wow. So this is in 2024. <coughs> um, and that, and it's... Maybe that's... I, my gut says, well, that's probably... That's always been there. But has that has it become so process-focused? What, what you really want is... You know, this is a scrum master applicant that comes in the room and throws away the backlog and just ask product test the product just, just to talk to the team, just tell them what they need. Yeah. Really talk to the problem. They're wait, they're, that company is looking for something deeper than just process level yeah. understanding. Yeah. Yeah. But the applicants that they're getting feel that they'll yeah. get the job yeah. if they demonstrate the process. They've yeah. been taught that what companies need is, is, is the process. Yeah. Yeah. They need yeah. to be able to tick a box. Yeah. So I, I, think, I, think, I think a lot of the, the, the daring element of being a scrum master is it's gone about throwing away the, the rule book and, yeah. and the, the guide and, so, and going with your gut and saying what do you think you know, just relying more but perhaps just that's just a lack of good applicants for these roles I just don't know yeah. there's so many applicants out there but, but you also know that and this is the funny thing you know that in many organisations many strong term organisations if they did the same thing and you went into the spreadsheet that would get you a big green tick yeah all yeah. they've Showing leadership, they're organised, they're disciplined, because the organisations don't often don't know what they're looking for. Because it and, and also it's easy to measure that. Yeah, in, in a, yeah. a tick in a box. Objectively, yeah. yeah, objectively in an interview, yeah. And so it's um, again, I think I can't. We, I'm sure it was you and I chatting, Jeff. I'm sure, but maybe we weren't. But it was me and someone saying about, I think Scrum Master. I think it was me and you. Scrum Master for me. Is the first was was yeah. the first real instantiation of VUCA volatility and yeah, yeah. ambiguity in organisations. Yeah, and organisations don't get it, never got it, still don't get it, and so and so it's like it's why it's been rejected, like antibodies rejecting. But how many this 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 transplant is not taking hold, and I think that we're seeing that, and I think that agile coaching is another example of that, perhaps. Um, but again, it's. It's again. I don't want to get into bashing agile coaching because I regard myself as one. But the entire concept of having someone as a coach a, a particular thing does worry me because the entire point of what we were trying to do was embed change, embed behaviours and practices in organisations forever. Yeah. 
and the fact you have to have a coach floating above people who are doing the embedding it's kind of you know I mean it's, it just feels sometimes feels a bit odd it feels a bit like okay my job's the embedding and you just do the process I think that's a danger of um, misaligning it when you have those types of structure and so I think as a good coach in all, if I say I'm an agile coach in organisation today I've got some choices. Either I double down, or I go, okay, I'm going to make this really work and move it up. Or I try and find a role in that organization that lets me move the dial. So I've seen a few people, I've they've, in my life doing agile, they've come in, they've been a job, they've come in and become agile coaches. And now, in the last eight, nine months, 18 months, they've now got new job titles. Like what? <coughs> Uh, program lead, okay, but uh, this sort of thing, you know, and you're kind of like, okay, that's interesting. So um, more delivery focus, more delivery responsibility. Yeah, yeah. Or, or, more, or more traditionally recognised, you mean? Well, that, under, that, the ra- so under the radar. What you both said, I think, is both true. Okay. So um, we said earlier on, I was um, we were having a chat before this. The chat before is probably better than this, embarrassingly. Um, but I, when I was. Um, Powdering my nose. That sounds even worse, powdering your nose. You can't say that. sounds like drug use. Um, as I was um, walking a dog, yeah. seeing a man about a dog, I had a thought and I realised that... Um, I made Paul laugh anyway. I realised that I think 2024 is the year of the player, not the year of the coach. Okay. The year of the practitioner, people doing, yeah. rather than the year of just talking. Yeah, yeah, and I think yeah. that's an interesting thing in our space, like saying, okay, we've talked a good game for, especially the coaches out there, talked a good game for a long time, that's yeah. great, can you still play the game? Yeah, yeah. Can you get on that pitch and actually help real move that dial and really get interesting things made and interesting ideas out there? Um, I'm quite excited about that idea. And I think, I think that, that, that there could be an element to that in what we need to look at. I think there's been a whole generation of coaches who didn't do didn't do I've just finished the sentence there didn't do you know they didn't they weren't scrum masters like we were um, or product owners or, or even developers like you guys were they, they just came in as young consultants who'd learnt a framework yeah uh, why do you think those people got hired then what was their what gave them authenticity Partly the companies they work for. What, their CV? Oh, you look at the traditional companies, sorry, the traditional consultancies, I think a lot of those consultants aren't domain experts. They, they, they sort of just almost make but, it up. Well, yeah, but B, BT was a good example of that. BT would go to Accenture, um, which probably should name them, but, but BT, they'd go to a big, one of the top yeah. five. And almost regardless of the individual credibility of the um, coach or, or mm. trainer or whatever, they would hire them because they were they had that on their CV or they were employed by, mm. endorsed by Accenture. And we, mm. we, we, we were all working with them. Some of them were terrible, awful. But again, so when we talk about player, though, I think it's an interesting thing here, which is um, it doesn't mean like, or I go back to development or something like this. What it, for me it means is um, being... Have very, some skin in the game? Yeah, skin in the game, being very delivery focused. Like, and I didn't mean telling people what to do. So let's say I was like a, a, a young person, I came in, I developed, I was brought into like a coaching job somehow, and yeah. I developed my coaching skills, I got people skills. 
that's my skill set, people skill set. Right? I think that can still be very strongly applied with a delivery focus. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't have to. But what it means is, it's not you're not um, separated or divorced from delivery, which like an agile coach can be. You know, yeah, like kind of washed out. Yeah, washed out. Not my chicken, not a pig. Exactly. The famous yeah. joke: chicken, not a pig. I'm just going to walk away. It's not my problem. And I think a lot of us in our space need to be okay. We need to really. We've preached, and now we need to practice. Mm-hmm. You know, and especially a lot of people need to get get out there and get really focused on delivery and use all the skills they've built over the years and yeah. apply them rather than just teach them. Because I've always had a concern again, so we mentioned earlier on that that um, like we would do training and stuff. Like we would do like a scrum master course or something, right? Tell you how to help you out as a scrum master. And at the end of the course, people would come to us and say, "Oh." I love this. I just love this. I'm really inspired. What do I need to do to become you? Yeah, yeah. And you're like, oh god, you've missed the entire point. <laughs> like this is not like this is not why I'm here. This is not the standing up here with slides is not how I dreamt I'll spend my life as a youth. You know, this is not the aspirational bit. The aspirational bit is using these skills in work. And uh, there's a danger, especially with some products out in the agile world at the moment they are agile coaching products and um, what but what that they're almost like pyramid scheme it's like hey you become a coach and you train other coaches sort of thing. yeah yeah and really you're trying to avoid that what you're trying to do is create an environment for people to get better at well that was always the idea of to go back to scrum alliance was yeah. the always idea of the practitioner which yeah arguably never really even now has taken off I can only, yeah. I can only judge that from my own numbers in terms yeah. of yeah. CSM numbers to ACSM numbers yeah. to CSP level numbers would always be a, a 10% yeah. drop yeah so you, you'd never you never really they Scrum Alliance never really grasped that nettle in terms of yeah. how to yeah. encourage and incentivize and promote and build more practitioners than you had entry level yeah yeah. Which is always going to be the case, I know, but yeah, it's always going to be the case. But it's um, I'd, lo- I'd love, the, I'd love that challenge these days to actually mm. reinvest, get get back into hardcore yeah. delivery. Yeah, it's 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 a jo- I, I like making products, so it's a, it's a, it's why I enjoy doing like videos and stuff and this because the creative aspect of it, which I enjoy, and it would be nice to do more of that, I think, but. But there's other things out there. So like, um, like the Scrum Alliance is trying to move, basically, I think, from roles to skills. Yeah. In terms of training. Yeah, I've heard. Yeah. Right? I've got that. So, so, and I think that's interesting. Uh, um, the I think because people need to add skills to their bow, and it's a good idea. They build up skill sets, right? Um, don't matter what your role is. There's use of these skills, as long as. It doesn't damage some of the key principles of what we're trying to achieve. And one of the key principles for me is, I, again, I think I'm one of the few people on earth who thinks it about how essential a scrum master is. Uh, and again, it doesn't have to be called scrum master, but someone who supports, someone leads, someone who helps, someone who enables, someone who builds an environment that's great, you know? And I worry that if you get too focused on skills, you can end up building environments where everyone knows everything. Everyone knows the price of everything but the value of nothing yeah. <laughs> you've got all these skills but they don't have the fundamentals of okay what's our aim here our aim is to build okay an empowered team our aim is to build a team that can um, that, that can argue and, and but not fall out with the arguing a team that can 
build stuff and like it, yet change it if it's disliked. You know, they can put it down and say, okay, I, we thought it was good. You say it's not good, that's fine. You know, I'll pick it back up and I'll give it a tweet. Yeah. And that's all difficult to build that culture and that environment. And so we've just got to, um, all of us practitioners out there have got to just keep an eye on that. You know, and say, okay, how do we help? Like in our space, how do we help others get that tone in their roles? And in other people's spaces, how do I have that tone in my role, my job? How do I bring that tone, that sort of okay? Without I think, I'd like to think that there's, I still speak to a lot of people that are still inherently, and they fundamentally know they are people, people, and they, they yeah. enjoy parts of the role that they desire will be that type of thing. Yeah. They like to um, hear out and you know, hear people's point of view, bring people into the conversation. They're inherently. Yeah people, people that enjoy human interaction. Yeah. It's just whether the organisation recognises that and, in, and allows that, encourages it and fosters it. Yeah. Whether it's got a role or not. Yeah. But you're just trying to encourage people to be people, people. But it's like, I just saw the other, so I did this, this article, again, calling an article is a strong word. That's an abuse of the word article. I wrote on LinkedIn <laughs> via the post button. By the post button. Um, <laughs> But I can't remember the terms I used. Someone told me off of one of the terms I used. I literally just made it up. Like, I was just writing, so I just wasn't putting a lot of thought into it. But um, I used the term teenagerism, because um, I made it up. But the idea, when you're a teenager, you feel like you're the first human being ever to have these experiences. Do you remember that? Yep. The first time you kissed a girl, first time like you beamed down from an alien planet, first time you you know had a beer. <laughs> like, you think, no one, and your parents try and talk to you, and they don't, they're aliens. They're like, you don't understand me. Yeah, you know, yeah, that's yeah, what's yeah. going on. I'm the first human ever to have this experience. Mm. And I see a lot of that, I'm afraid, to see in work, which is, the, the seem, again, the, the, this tech, techno-fascist movement, the idea that the people in the past were wrong, we've got to move fast and break things, history's pointless, look to the future. Like, I just saw Elon, again, this is going to date this horribly, but Elon Musk supposedly is hiring hundreds and hundreds of moderators to go on Twitter, or as it's now called X, because all the issues around the famous pop singer whose name I don't mm -hmm. know, Taylor Swift, um, uh, dodgy AI images of her. Mm -hmm. So he's going to have loads of moderators to moderate it, right? So he's like, he used to have loads of moderators. He fired them, he said, we don't need them. Mm. We're going to let the laws of the jungle decide Darwinism. Yeah. And he realised it doesn't work. Yeah. And so he's, he's relearning very expensive lessons learnt by Twitter, right? Cause, but he has to, because he has to, because he's like a teenager, he doesn't... You can't appreciate that other people have had good ideas prior, you know what I mean? Mm. So having to rediscover the wheel, like he's done the cyber tank thing, the cyber truck yeah. with its metallic finish that supposedly is going to corrode instantly. Yeah. And you've got to do loads of things. You get any spillage on it, you've got to instantly get out of the car and wipe it off because it'll corrode <laughs> it. And this is why cars did not look like that. Yeah, yeah, and cars yeah. do not look like that. He's just throwing away, but why not? Mm. Well, there's reasoning, you know. All processes scar tissue. And the idea of teenagerism seems to be like, no one's, no, no one's ever known anything before I must discover it myself and so I just think that's an interesting like yeah. th that's interesting organisations having to now we all have to learn our own experience you're all going to make your own mistakes but some of those mistakes are bloody expensive you know and so it's the danger like throwing away process completely saying oh we don't believe in frameworks well a lot of blood went into those frameworks a lot of danger went into those frameworks you yeah. know a lot of success came out of those frameworks yeah, go on. I got a, I got a quote. I get a quote sent to me every day or whatever. One, the one today Goodbye. was just like a app type thing. Oh, I thought you meant like someone just randomly sends you quotes. No. Hi Jeff, here's your morning quote. <clears throat> the reasonable man adapts himself to the world. The unreasonable one persists in trying to adapt the world to himself. Therefore, all progress depends on the unreasonable man. Yeah. So, what you're just that reminded me yeah. of 
well, you talking yeah. reminded me yeah. of that in that there's an element of necessity for progress to not just take things as they are, not just repeat things. There's a necessary waste of reinventing well, the, 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 to think, innovate. Yeah. So, but I think the word <clears throat> unreasonable, I think that was Schwaber's point of view. Schwaber said, Agile would have got nowhere if I hadn't been such an asshole. Like, basically, he put an article, it's on the link, it's on the internet somewhere. He said, look, people dislike me and stuff, but yeah. my behavior got it this far. Did it? This is always the point in terms of you need to not just accept the status quo for change to happen, right? But you do need to understand the status quo for change to happen. Like, because if you don't understand your context, the change is just erroneous. It's wrong. It's stupid. It's um, it's going to fail. Right? If you think, if you, but if you don't, so you need to understand your context, but not be wedded to it. You know, you've got, but you've got to know. If you don't know, then the things you're going to do are going to be erroneous. Now, in our world, let's go back to agile. We know how to do this. We run safe to fail probes. Mm. We dip our toes in the water. We learn, you know, we discover, we run experiments. Very sensible thing to do, you know. Don't throw your baby out with the bathwater. Um, the trouble is with the... Musk as an example, is those things could have happened in a lab and he could have learned them. Yeah. You know? Like, he, like you don't have to... It's the danger of this, like, um, the great man theory. Like, I will chop the Gordian knot, you know, like Alexander the Great did and... It's not, the trouble with that is a lot of those problems, that type of thinking is not the right way to go about them. It's not a intractable thing that needs a man of bravery and courage. It's a complex situation that needs deep understanding mm-hmm. and then careful, delicate moves to nudge it. It gets back to Kenevity. Again, really, it's just yeah. using the wrong thing for the wrong job. And I worry that, again, social media accelerating it, this sort of great man thinking, this sort of objectivist thinking, Aaron Rand thing of, you know, um, great men must not be hindered by lesser men, which the quote sounds a little bit like, you know, that's all very dangerous thinking. Mm. We can learn from it. Like, we don't want to be held back by the competent, held back by the incompetence, a terrible thing. Mm. However, mm. <laughs> every every villain thinks they're a hero. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So no one, everyone's a hero in their own life story. So the, 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 the issue we've got is a lot of these, in capital letters, great men aren't. And how do we help? move organisations forward in a complex, difficult world. Whilst not just accepting that difficulty, which is the other big thing. People seem to be giving up. No, I can't change anything. Mm. I'll just go with the flow. And that is, for me, I'm looking at it through my own lens, but that's my... I see those people as the reasonable people because it is reasonable to just not fight something you you don't think you can win. I think it needs to be unreasonable to think that you can change society change organizational culture i think you've got to be a little bit crazy to take that on most people uh, i'll just make do i'll just roll with it it's interesting it depends how you define reason like is it through so again you could use the word reason as um logic so you could could you be saying the illogical person changes the world but the logical person doesn't i don't believe that to be true either (coughs) I think there's an element there in terms of reasonable as a loaded term. Mm. Like reasonable as like, um, again, they used to use in the UK. So I've been reading a variety of political um, autobiographies. The word they used was clubbable. Because of the old clubs back in like the 19th century, like those old men clubs you would go right. to and sit there and read a paper and smoke yeah. a cigar. Right? Yeah. And like, oh, he's not very clubbable. Like he's yeah. not the type of guy who goes wow. to the right clubs and wears the right tie. Yeah. You can't trust him. Yeah. And I think that's like 
that's definitely what I would say with that quote. If they were saying like, there's like people who are clubbable, they say the right things, they do the right things in organisations, they wear the right suit, they've been, they've had the right job, they've worked for the right consulting firm. Yeah, they're clubbable, but the trouble is they're not going to change anything. And yet the people from the w- different worlds, the weird worlds, the strange spaces, who are very much unclubbable, they're the ones who come in a different and dynamic and change the world. I don't know if I would say reasonable, but I would definitely say that sort of um, uh, unconventional. But from a self, self-serving perspective, it's reasonable to get yourself into those clubs and, and find a way of maintaining the status quo. I think a lot of people who change things end up almost sacrificing themselves yeah. for the change. Yeah. Which Moses, is, Moses died before they reached the promised land, didn't he? I believe. Wasn't the last hill before? <coughs> I'm basing my knowledge off um, Charlton Heston. <laughs> so, um, but I, so, again, apologies... But I believe you don't get the profit. Joseph Smith the, didn't reach the promised yeah, land from the Book of Mormon. I know that. Yeah. Yeah. again. But it's, um, the prophet does not reach the promised land, isn't yeah. it? Sort of thing. Um, but again, that doesn't have to be true, does it? <laughs> like you know, there's um, I think there's a whole element of life out there. It doesn't have to be sacrificial. You know, we take hero myths and say, okay, I'm going to sacrifice. I'm going to do these great things, and I will sacrifice myself on this great dragon. Um, but in reality, then you go on and things go back. So what can we leave people with? Shift the dial. Do things that really matter. Um, don't have to be big things. Don't have to be big names. Don't have to be big jargon. But just grind it out and shift things and build better stuff gradually. Hmm. Doing what needs to be done. Using what you know to do it. You know. I'd say get your hands dirty. Invest. Yeah. Fully invest in it. I'd say. Yeah. I'd say keep your principles. Yeah. And those around you are not. Yeah. yeah. Still be true to you. Yeah. Easier said than done. Easier for us to yeah. say that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, a lot of us are doing MDD, mortgage-driven development. Mm-hmm. But I think principles is a key thing because you can do most things if you feel you're doing it for the right reasons in the right way. You know, so a man who has a, a strong why can bear almost any how. Yeah, like yeah, you can survive it. It's when you feel like you're being you authentic. Quote today. It's when you feel quotes. good, good, it could be the next Moses. Um, <laughs> he supposes his toes are roses, um, but Moses supposes erroneously. Um, but I think yeah principles are easy to lose yeah. and I, I think they are um, easy to lose um, much like Very that jealous. and but you can't be a zealot and whatever is in life you've got to be it's got to have real effect on real people yeah. and that's the danger of politics you can stand you can be a, a pious you know like a pious libertarian and say, all, all, all government is evil, this taxation is evil. Yeah. Or you'd be a pious like communist and say, no, no, must, oh, everything must be from the people to the people. But if you're not actually making people's lives better, you're just a talker. Yeah. You're just a, a, a protester. You're just a professor, as you said earlier on. I'm gonna the throw, world is about practitioners. I'm gonna, I know we're running out of time. I'm going to throw a name in there for a pass. You reminded me of when you said that. Let's call him Roger. <laughs> okay. Von um, Dubai. So, but he, for me, I think this guy let's call him Roger kind of lost a bit of face because he was just a talker do you know what I mean he was as far as I was aware he was never really in a team and talked a lot talked a good game but he almost lost a little bit of credibility because he'd never really been fully invested in it Mm. and that's what I think we're in danger of becoming 
Our industry is, yeah. Our industry, as, as, a, as a wider. From, yeah, disconnected. From again, the, the hard truths about what's actually happening. Yeah, yeah. It's like in software development, there's a real truth of actually making code and cutting it. And I don't mean you have to be a developer, just being, like, being in the office at eight, you know, getting a release ready, you know, which you're not supposed to do, not, but it happens, like, living that life rather than being purely about frameworks and, like, software tools like Jira and stuff. It's all very mm. disconnected and in the real life so yeah, you're right you've got to be you know if you're going to be a prophet you've got to be amongst the people you know you can't feel just authentic. be in your, I don't, your I feel the, you've got to feel the pain sometimes right? yeah but that's the again for me that's the fun bit that's the interesting stuff that's not you know that's really cool I think personally like getting but as, a, as coaches and I know because I'm yeah. writing the course coaches yeah. are kind of taught to keep keep their distance yeah and, one and stance not, of it isn't yeah it? and not fully invest but anyway that's, an, that's probably under podcast in itself so we have run out of time gentlemen um, my pint glass is empty it's uh, certainly not my round because I bought these cheers everyone cheers all, cheers all. see you soon ta-da